Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our Tony Vitello's Tennessee Vols winning a little too much for the college baseball community's liking. Recent events start to make you wonder. This is the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Adam Sparks is on assignment this week with some football happenings you can keep up with over at knoxnews.com. But John... Uh, you had a, a column recently on, on one of the hottest topics surrounding Tennessee, and that was the, uh, the I guess, self-imposed, collaboratively imposed suspension of, of Tony Vitello, uh, Tennessee's wildly popular baseball coach within its own fan base, a man who ruffles a few feathers outside of Knoxville. He was suspended uh, as he, what, undergoes investigation for possible NCAA rule bending what what's your take on on this John it, it seems there's there's more mystery out there than we really know but what we do know is that Tony Vitello ooh served a three game suspension against Dayton how will he overcome that how will the Vols overcome <laughs> ooh it's awful um really overblown but i think everything about Tony Vitello will be overblown. Uh, he's a high-profile figure in a low-profile sport. He has to be careful because he's kind of a marked man. Tony Vitello probably did as much for college baseball last season as any single person I can remember. And admittedly, I haven't followed that cl- sport closely. But I've followed it, followed it since Tony Vitello came here because I find him so compelling and so refreshing. Baseball has always been a pretty much conventional game. Here's how you drop down a bunt, sacrifice bunt. Here's how you hit the cutoff man. And here's how you respond to a question. It's always kind of been that way. They're just certain. They're not rules. It's just the way the game is supposed to be played and presented. Tony Vitello doesn't give a flip about what people think. Uh, He reminds me a lot of Steve Spurrier when Steve Spurrier became the head coach at Florida. Steve Spurrier had no interest in being a part of the coaching fraternity. He wasn't buddies with a lot of other coaches. In fact, I can remember Steve Spurrier one time he was looking for a defensive coordinator and he went down the NCAA stats from the previous season to see who had the best defensive stats because he just wasn't well-connected. He had a great run. He rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and he dominated college football in the SEC for a decade, and Florida fans loved him like no other coach they've ever had. Uh, And there have been, you know, there's Bruce Pearl was like that at Tennessee with Tennessee basketball. Other coaches were not fond of Bruce Pearl. 
He was very non-conventional. He didn't care how he acted. He didn't act according to what the way you think a coach is supposed to act. Tony Vitello is the same way. Something we hear a lot now in the NIL and transfer era is tampering. Tampering goes on with virtually everybody. Tampering doesn't mean a coach is necessarily calling up a player who hasn't even entered the transfer portal and said, I got a million dollars if you'll come play quarterback for me right and here. What, and that's what people think, right? When you hear the word tampering, you think this guy was, you know, the, the coach, coach X was on the horn with the player uh, uh-huh. three minutes after a game was over. Player was sitting in his locker room and his phone rings from head ball coach down the way and says, I got a sack full of a million dollars. Now, if, it, if Jeremy Pruitt's your coach, we could see someone being that sloppy and doing something well. as careless as that. But I think in real life, it, it rarely goes down the way people think about when they hear tampering. And we don't know all the all the details here, but to your point, Mahi Ahuna, the highly anticipated transfer, the shortstop from Kansas. You know, he had been waiting for for eligibility clearance. He got that this week from compliance. In the meantime, Tony Vitello, you know, was serving this three-game suspension during Tennessee's series against Dayton as, you know, here's what the school said. Here's what Tennessee said. He said, Tennessee and and Vitello are, quote, working collaboratively (laughs) with the NCAA to address a violation within the program. That's always... That's always dangerous waters as a coach, right? Working collaboratively with I, the NCAA. You know, <laughs> the NCAA a, usually has a, your does not usually have your best interests in heart if you're if you're a coach who finds themselves with an investigator on the other side of you. I busted out laughing when I read that statement because I can imagine myself having an off-the-record conversation with Tony Vitello and so uh, and saying, hey, Tony, what's going on here? And Tony said, well, I'm working collaboratively with the <laughs> universe. He just doesn't talk that way or act that way. And uh, I, I think you talk about tampering. To me, it's it's probably a clerical issue. Your guy enters a transfer portal. And you look at this like, okay, what happens next? And there's this process he has to go through about, that ends up with him leaving one school and winding up at another. And did he visit before something would had been consummated before one box had been checked? I don't know, but that's the kind of thing this was. I think Tennessee might've overreacted, but on the other hand, maybe played it smart because it all worked out. Tony Vitello got a three-game suspension. Ahun is now eligible. And in talking to Tony Vitello, what bothered him more than anything, anything, was that Ahuna couldn't play. When Tennessee went out to Arizona and opened the season in the Desert Classic, a major league baseball production, Ahuna couldn't play. And they found that out right when they arrived there and they're about to play a game. Huna's family lives in Hawaii, and a number of members of that family and extended family made the trip to Arizona to watch him play and begin a new era uh, of his baseball career. I mean, imagine how that that was to the for the family in Ahuna. Well, it really upset Vitello because, and so after that, it was. 
I think his primary concern was not what kind of punishment will I get? uh, What kind of negative publicity will I get? It was all about this baseball player that had joined Tennessee from Kansas and a highly sought after player. He needs to play and he wants to play and he's upset. His family's upset. And I think that was his number one priority. So now that's all behind us. But I think what's significant here is there've just been other incidences with Tony. Mm-hmm. And, and again, my, my point is he has to be careful because I think he's a marked man. He's the bad th- boy. He's college he, baseball's bad boy now. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you love him. Oh. If you're someone else, uh, you know, in the college baseball community, you think, what are these Vols doing uh, ascending to prominence? You know, this is a team that was ranked number one in the nation last year. Uh, obviously got upset before they they reached the College World Series. But a team with that expectations this year, they're, they're ranked number two uh, in the nation. They've lost a couple games, but, you know, these early season results, and that's, that's, that's not going to foil you. They lost a couple out of the gates, and now they, they've ripped off six in a row, and, and this is still a team with, with huge upside, um, with MLB talent all over it. And, and he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's changed the talent level of the program. Tennessee's not staying in its lane. Tony's oh. not going to stay in his lane. He's not fine just being mediocre, and, and you do think, it's like you say, that can, that can make you a marked man and rather versus going out there and going 500. People see him as not playing the rules. He's chest bumping an umpire. Should he do that? No. And he got suspended for it. He's been suspended three times since he's been at Tennessee. I don't think that will be his last suspension. For his sake, I hope so. For UT's baseball program, I hope so. For SEC baseball, I hope so. You can't tell me that that Tony Vitello hasn't had a huge impact, not just on Tennessee. But SEC baseball, I know I'm a sports columnist, but I've never had any interest in writing about UT baseball. It just wasn't significant enough. But now I do, and I get a lot of traffic on my columns. There's tremendous interest in it. And I think, as you said, he's kind of a poster boy for this sport. Maybe it's a bad boy poster. And I'm really dating myself here, but... And I always followed Major League Baseball, not college baseball, but I remember 50 years ago when Charlie Finley and the Oakland A's became a force in Major League Baseball, and they were so unconventional. And it just created a firestorm of criticism, just the way they dressed, just their uniforms, the bright colors, gaudy colors, and the way they acted. It's just not a sport that has a history of tolerating something different that well. But I think Tony Vitello's had a very positive effect on Tennessee and the SEC. And I, I hope he stays here a long time. Let's broaden this out a little bit, John, because in, in the big picture of things, Tennessee is is Tennessee baseball is now a sport that uh, you know, as you said, as a sports columnist, you didn't really used to care about it. And I think you could apply that to most of the fan base at large. There was your diehard Tennessee baseball fans regardless of who the coach was, team success, sure. But the interest in this sport has has grown, I think, astronomically, thanks to what Tony Vitello has created. Now, my question is, how much further can this go? NCAA tournaments can be unpredictable at times, and Tennessee didn't reach the College World Series last year. But I think if you talk to people who know that sport well, 
they certainly believe that Tennessee had the type of team that could have contended for a national championship. How high do we see this rocket going, John? Do you think if Tony Vitello has a nice long tenure here, makes Vols fans happy, ticks everybody else off, you think we're talking about a program that can win a national championship? And and could Tennessee baseball, I guess, win a national championship before some other Tennessee prominent sports, such as football, men's or women's basketball? Is Tennessee baseball the Vols' best bet to win a national championship of, let's call it the big four, football, men's and women's basketball, and baseball? Yeah, I think it is. I, I mean, I think Tennessee could win multiple national championships under Vitello. And I say that despite the peculiar nature of the sport. Uh, we talk about NCAA tournaments in basketball a lot and how teams get appended. Uh, Higher-seeded teams lose to lower-seeded teams on a last-second shot. It's pretty dicey out there in a tournament. The best team doesn't always make the Final Four. The four best teams don't always make it. And the eight best teams don't always make the College World Series. In fact, the num- I think 1999 was the last time a number one seed in the, in the NCAA baseball tournament actually won the championship. But it's a very different sport because even, even more so than basketball because of pitching. You can go out and somebody can pitch the game of their life and beat you. Great pitching can beat great hitting. It's easy to me to get upset in that sport. However, I just think Vitello, the way he recruits, for all the fanfare support around surrounding him, Blake, he works tirelessly as a recruiter. He's not married. He doesn't have a family. He's just out there all the time. He, he really works hard. And I think he will always be able to bring in good players. He has a good staff, a good coaching staff. He's shown he can develop players. So I think this will be Tennessee baseball will be a national powerhouse as long as he's here. And I think it will always be in the running for championships, if not winning them. And I really think when you look at the other sports, I think Josh Heupel has the potential to make Tennessee a top 10 program in football. Uh, well, they, already, they already were, right? I mean, they, they were top 10 program this yeah. past season. Yeah, yeah. And, but I want to mean, I guess, sustain that. I don't think it's like an aberration, a one, a one-year wonder. I think Rick Barnes has a potential. I know Rick Barnes hasn't fared well in the NCAA tournament. He has a long history of that, both at Texas and Tennessee. But what he has done is win a bunch of games and compete against the best teams in the country during the regular season and have a high-profile program. I think he can do that. So I think in all those sports, Tennessee has the potential to do that. Let's phrase it like this, John. You you think Tennessee baseball has the potential to win a national championship, and I kind of phrased it through the the quote-unquote big four, and if you're a fan of one of the other sports – well, I'm sorry you didn't crack my my big <laughs> big four. No no offense intended. But through the lens of football, baseball, men's and women's basketball, how would you rank the likelihood, one through four, that those teams would win a national championship? And let's say, let's call it the next six years. I don't know why I arrived on that number, but let's go with a six-year span. Mm-hmm. 
who would be most likely of those four Tennessee teams to win a national championship down to the least likely? Well, I think uh, baseball is your best bet. It had the best team in baseball last year. It didn't win the championship, but it had a historically great season that few teams in the history of the sport have matched. So that said, in the year before that, COVID cut short. I mean, the year before that, they made the College World Series. The year before that, COVID negated the entire tournament. And that team was another team that had the potential to make the College World Series. So three years in a row in the past, you know, teams that were College World Series caliber, whether they made it there or not. Yes. Yes. That's when you talk about a you know, a sustained program that this is, this program is always going to be up there. So you get up there, Skip Bertman for all his success with LSU baseball, turned that into a monster program. He went, he didn't win a championship right away, but he was there a long time. And then the championships came, but he had a, he built a program uh, at a very, that was at a very, that a national level that had to be reckoned with. And so I think Batello will do that. If you get, you get to that level sooner or later, you're going to luck likely favor you and you'll win a championship. Uh, behind him, I would probably say Josh Heupel with football. I mean, look what he's done in two seasons, Blake. I mean, does, does the 12 team playoff change your opinion on that, John? That's what I was curious about because the 12 team playoff arrives in 2024. At the same time, the SEC grows from 14 to 16 teams with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma. So I'm curious, knowing that that is in the future of the sport, does that make you think it's more possible for Tennessee to win a national championship with Josh Heupel? Because it's going to be easier to make the playoffs. You're going to have many years where the SEC is getting four or five teams in the playoffs. They can get in the playoffs, I think, undoubtedly in a 12-team playoff that we just saw it last year. That would have been a playoff team. But they're going to have to win more games. You know, you can't get into the playoff, win a game or two, and you're, you're hoisting a hoisting a trophy at a minimum you will have to win three games uh you know if you're getting if you're one of the four teams getting a first round bye uh if you're not in the top four you're going to have to win four games does that make you think it's it's more or less likely that tennessee could win a national championship i think it's more likely with an expanded playoff field that tennessee could win because again and i've said this over and over i really believe in josh heupel's offense his offense has, you know, distinguished itself from everybody else. It, it's the offense right now. And I think he's proved that he will add more talent through the transfer portal and high school recruiting. He went he just finished in the top 10 team, top 10 in an expanded playoff. He might have made it. But I did the level of talent on that team isn't what I think it will be in the next few years. You said in six years, I think it's not out of the question that Tennessee could be in the playoffs in six years. And if you're in the playoffs, you got a shot. So I right, think so, that's so, realistic. So football's number two. Baseball's the likeliest to win a championship in the next six years. You got football too. We're left with the basketballs here. Now, I remind you that Rick Barnes has a top 15 program right now. So we could we, we could be... A month and a half away, John, from Tennessee having a national champion here, right? I know if you look at Rick Barnes's history in the NCAA tournament, you would think that's preposterous. But 
if you're looking at teams that have a shot to win the NCAA tournament, you don't have to be a one seed to win the NCAA tournament. You can win the NCAA tournament as a, as a five or six seed or on down the line. So, you know, Tennessee's probably going to be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament. We've, we've not reached them at this point in the discussion though yet. So are you looking at Rick Barnes? Or are you looking at the Lady Vols as being more, more likely to win a national championship in the next six years? Uh, I would go with Rick Barnes because he is accumulating talent. He's recruited consistently well, he and his staff. And there is a lot of luck in the NCAA tournament, granted. Uh, I just think he needs to change his approach to postseason play, maybe in how he prepares his team for the postseason. Uh, Speci- specifically, too- what, do you, what do you think on that? I mean, well, how, how I can just, he change? I just wonder – if he practices a team's too hard going into postseason. You think they could uh, be gassed come late March? Yeah, I, I just think it's a long season. Uh, you go through an SEC tournament. I thought last year's Tennessee team was headed for the Final Four. The way it, it just surged through the SEC tournament, to me it looked like one of the best teams in the country, and I didn't see it falling short. And what happens, it, it lost to, to a much lower-seeded Michigan team in the second round. So, but I, I've heard coaches who have been successful in this tournament and I've heard of coaches who weren't successful in the tournament, but successful overall. And it was often from the ones that I remember Gene Cady at Purdue was a good example, had a great career, didn't do great in the NCAA tournament, but he said he always practices his team every bit as hard in the postseason as he did during the regular season. Bobby Knight at Indiana, on the other hand, known as quite the taskmaster, said he backed off once he got into postseason play. That's a small body of evidence. I guess I'm kind of grasping at things. At least you're admitting it. You're you're admitting you're grasping at straws. Yeah, and I grasp a lot. It's just my nature. But I do think, it's hard. There has to be something when a coach who's that good. Rick Barnes has won everywhere he's been, everywhere. He builds programs, wins a lot of games, and beats really good teams. Um, schedule's pretty, pretty hard. And uh, so there has to be something, some factor there that that maybe if he could just tweak that, maybe you would have a different ending in the postseason. But still, if I'm looking at who's next, I would take Tennessee, uh, the men's basketball program, as a champ in, in the next six years, capable of winning a national championship. Which leaves the Lady Vols, John, and, and this is the program with eight national championships to its name under Pat's summit. Now, the most recent was in 2008. The sport has evolved since then there uh it, it's harder for one superpower to have a stranglehold on the sport we've we've saw uh yukon ascend to prominence yukon three-peated at one point under gino but even yukon has stepped back a little bit to the pack from from its reign of, of power throughout the 2000s and the 2010s and now uh, south carolina is the cream of the, the crop of the sport, but it is a little more competitive. It's not one or two teams dominating 
the whole sport and, and Tennessee has stepped back. Now they still make the NCAA tournament every year. You can, you can pencil them into the tournament field almost before the season tips off, but they haven't seriously threatened for a national championship. And I would say more than a decade now they made, they made the elite eight in 2016, but it's been since that last national title in, in 2008 that they made a final four and they really haven't put together a finer final four caliber team, you know, toward the end of the Kelly Harper or excuse me, toward the end of the Holly Warlick era and throughout so far of the Kelly Harper era. So they, they are the least likely of these big four that we're talking about in your mind to win a national championship. Yeah. And, and Tennessee to me has everything it takes to win a championship. Uh, it has tradition it has facilities. It has the fan support it has it has a strong NIL policy. Uh, it can get players. Uh, it's got a really nice regional recruiting base, and, and it just kind of comes down to to coaching. And Kelly Harper hasn't shown me that she is that kind of a coach. There is more parity in women's basketball now. I'll give you that, but there's still there's still a limited number of teams that could actually win a championship. I thought Tennessee had Final Four talent this year. It's not even the top twenty in the top twenty-five. Granted, it played a brutal schedule, probably the toughest in the country, but it lost all those games except one to nationally ranked teams. So, it, it, to me, this team uh, had every—you had every reason to believe this team could make the Final Four, and it's the third seed in in the SEC tournament. Okay, compare that with LSU. Kim Mulkey in her second season there. Kim Mulkey's one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport. She goes in there. The program's a mess. She wins uh, 26, 27 games last year in her first season. Just flipped the whole program. Uh, No, didn't take any time at all. And now she's lost one game and is one of the highest-ranked teams in the country. She doesn't have as much talent as Tennessee does. Yet she's got her team in the running for the Final Four. And Tennessee should beat LSU in the SEC tournament. It's a deeper team. It's got more sides. It's got more three-point shooters. It's got two top 10 WNBA draft picks in Jordan Horston and Rakia Jackson. But the difference is coaching. And... uh, I, I don't know. Uh, Kelly Harper, maybe she can maybe she can turn it up. Maybe she can get even better players. But I thought she did a nice job of assembling this team. It just hasn't gelled. Maybe it'll gel in the postseason. When this job last came open after the firing of, of Holly Warlick, John, Tennessee was not real serious uh, about attracting you know the, the most qualified pool of applicants. We even heard Philip Fulmer say, uh, he, he let the girls tell him what to do. Uh, by that, he meant the uh, women administrators in the athletic department. He Philip called them girls. Um, he said he let the girls tell him what to do, and the girls told Philip that a that this hire needed to be a former Lady Vol, you know, someone who is from the Pat Summit tree. And and when you do that, you really restrict uh, the the field of candidates that you're you're going to get, the field of candidates you're going to consider. Um, how serious you're going to be uh, about pursuing the best coaches in the sport to fill the job. If if that were Danny White running this search, though, 
with Danny White now in charge of the athletic department, I'm wondering, is he going to kowtow to the quote-unquote girls, as, again, Philip Fulmer's words, these are, these are women we're talking about, would he kowtow <laughs> the way Philip Fulmer said and just say, well, girls, what do you want? We got to have a former lady of all? All right. Here she is, quick handshake, off the Done stage, deal. back back to the football practice field. Uh, Danny White, uh, yeah, he, there's no comparison between him and Philip Fulmer as an AD. Danny White hasn't had a chance to hire a lot of coaches. He's hired one in Josh Heupel. And things worked out spectacularly. He wasn't able to get a big name coach, but he got Josh Heupel, who has become a big name coach. And I will say, to Danny White's credit, his hiring history is really good, not just getting the big name coaches. But he's gotten coaches who turned out to be very successful wherever he's been. So in women's basketball, there are a very limited number of coaches who can make a difference. Kim Mulkey was one of those. Would she have left Baylor for Tennessee? I don't know. But she loved Pat Summit. She's not afraid of a big stage. She has the kind of ego where she wouldn't. it wouldn't bother her to follow a legend. Uh, she wouldn't and, have been a And follow- I think she was ready to move on from Baylor. She Jeff. was. She wasn't happy with administration there. And she wasn't immediately following Summit. She could have been following Holly Warlick. But she would have embraced the Pat Summit era and what all that made Tennessee basketball what it was. And she's a tremendous salesperson. She could have sold that. She's a great developer of talent. Like I say, her team has no business having just one loss right now. I want to see what uh, what LSU basketball will be once Mulkey's been there a few years. And I just think it's, uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of a fantasy, but what Tennessee might have become, I think if, if Tennessee could have hired Kim Mulkey, but I don't know if Tennessee would have been willing to pay that much money to a women's basketball coach. I, I don't know if it would. What I'm hearing, John, is uh, don't anybody make vacation plans in June unless it's to Omaha because Tony Vitello's Vols are they're they're the best bet to to celebrate the nas- next national championship for Tennessee. Yes, you you're going to go on vacation this year. Let it be Nebraska in in June. Yeah, good luck finding a hotel room in in Omaha. You might ought to hope for something in Council Bluffs, Iowa. You'll like it there. They've got some casinos, Blake. I proposed at a casino in Iowa. She said yes, and it's now my wife. Now, if that isn't romance, I don't know what is. If you need any travel recommendations, if you're planning on traveling to the College World Series, uh, you can you can email John. He's uh, a great connoisseur of Midwestern travel, loves the state of Iowa, and can recommend some, some hotels up that way. Tony Vitello. Uh, back in charge of the Tennessee baseball program. Well, he was always in charge of the program, but he's off suspension. Mahi Ahuna cleared to compete, and Tennessee has a team that could be marching toward big things in the postseason. John Adams certainly thinks so. We thank you for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State. Just going to run this 
dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.